Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Content Clearinghouse. I'm Homo sapien Josh Evans. And I'm Homo sapien part Neanderthal, Brett Chisholm. And together, we make up the new human species, Homo contensiensis. That may be made up, but it's okay because everything is. Everything is a myth that allows us to work together. And on this special episode, we're going to work together to understand the history of us. Brett is diving into his favorite piece of content ever, the book Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind by Yuval Noah Harari, the content clearinghouse's most mentioned man. We both get vulnerable and talk about our personal philosophies and ideas, and it's content like this that challenges and inspires us. So we're skipping the off-top and the content circuit and getting right into it. Movies, shows, and video games, podcast books, and their acclaims, let their favorite content become yours. It's the Content Clearing House. Content Clearing House. And it starts right now. So your skydiving trip got canceled, huh? God, don't bring it up, Brett. Yeah, it was... uh, sorry. (laughs) It was a uh, mechanical issue at the 11th hour. Uh, The owner called me today and said that he was checking the oil on the left engine of the plane, and they found metal shavings in it. And that's basically just an immediate shutdown. Really, it's like... Uh, a full engine overhaul it sounds like so it's a big disappointment yeah that's too bad well you don't want to delta tango on your on your hands uh no that's exactly what i said was i've already been in uh one airplane where the engine exploded i don't ever want to have that experience again regardless of how great of a podcast episode it makes right, exactly yeah well i'm sure that's how he feels about it too. He's he's not in the business of giving you podcast stories. That's for sure. <laughs> you don't ever want to don't ever want to be on the uh, delivering end of a content clearinghouse off top subject. Yeah. Well, how else are uh, I mean? What else is going on over there? Raising some kids. I saw that uh, I was in a biker gang. Now that looked pretty cool. Oh yeah, she. Uh, we had a video of her leading all the kids in the neighborhood, driving her power wheels with them, just like tagging behind her. It was really awesome. They were definitely all like falling into formation for sure. She's yeah. definitely a natural born leader, like you. And they're all they were all obsessed with the power wheels too. You know, they are, they all have bikes, which are arguably more awesome vehicles. But just seeing like the motorized power wheel th- that she has all the kids that are like 60, 70 pounds are like, oh, I want to go. And they're like bottoming it out. It's like almost doing a wheelie because they weigh so much. But it's like an instant friend maker for her. Yeah, that's, you know, my neighbor, not that he not that he needs a power wheel to make instant friends. Um, our, our neighbors here are awesome. But um, he just got his, it's called a Suron, and it just got delivered today. It is basically a motorcycle that's electric built on a mountain bike frame. I mean, there's no pedals. He said you can order it with pedals, but that's basically just for show. It's kind of to like make it legal for certain trails or something. I don't remember the specifics, but Bree, I guess, just took a ride on it 
and said it was just absolutely insane. She walked in with a big smile on her face, and I haven't even seen it yet because I have been shuttered away with the AC blasting, working on uh, just reading Sapiens and reading interviews with Yuval Noah Harari and, and just outlining my content piece for today. So I haven't even seen the Suron yet. So I'm super stoked um, to, to clear this content out of my brain because immediately afterwards, I'm going to go admire his, his adult power wheel. Man, you've been holding on to this one for a while too. This is, from what I understand, your favorite piece of content and uh, you didn't want to do this in the beginning of the show because we had no idea what we were doing. You want to save it till you're actually good at it? Totally. And I, and I also, uh, I, I do feel like this is, you know how you talk frequently about how content changes the lens in which you look at the world with? This is that piece of content for me but it's not just like a piece of content of the month. I mean, this is one of those things that really sticks with you. And it, it, it's just like influenced the way that I look at my own beliefs, the way that I look at the world. And I just can't wait to read anything that Yuval Noah Harari puts out, whether it's our most mentioned books. man. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you ready to get into it? Oh man, I've actually been waiting months and months to hear you talk about this. I have not read this, so I'm really excited about going on the journey with you, someone who clearly uh, worships this book almost like it's a religion. Yeah, well, uh, great choice of words. So as you know, I have asked you to dedicate this entire episode to my content deep dive because, as you correctly guessed, um, I believe this is one of the greatest works of literature available today, and it deserves its own damn episode. I really wanted to mark its significance for me. And the book that we are talking about and have mentioned previously is Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind. So if you're a new listener to the show, I'm going to reintroduce myself. I'm Brett, contentologist. With me is... Josh, contentologist. That's right. And uh, we are both resident clearinghouse homo sapiens. <laughs> now, I'm like the only two you... that work here. <laughs> that's, that's true. Um, and we're going to take you along uh, on one of my expeditions within the study of contentology. Totally not a thing that we just made up. Uh, now, like the book, I will be breaking down my recommendation into distinct parts in hopes of making this content coverage easy to follow and engaging just like the book Sapiens. Otherwise, I would totally be screaming incoherently about Yuval Noah Harari <laughs> and his first book like a teenage hippie fangirl in the 1960s at a Beatles concert. Most mentioned have you man. Ever seen those, like, have you ever seen those Beatlemania videos? Yeah, where they're like throwing their panties on stage oh. and <laughs> passing out. Okay, that's you get it for sure. So, seriously, my admiration for this man. So, get your panties Harari. ready, listeners. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> my my admiration for Yuval is constrained only by the biological limitations of my ape brain, which I learned a lot about the evolution and development of from Yuval Noah Harari. So, my first section is 
the Evol Revolution. So I'm going to get everyone's big question out of the way. Hey, Brett, why does Yuval Noah Harari have three names? The answer, of course, is Beyonce has one name, and Yuval Noah Harari is objectively three times more great and powerful than Beyonce. Queen B? Yeah, Queen B. Man, now, I have no doubt if, I just realized if Jay-Z something. was out of the picture. Yeah. This is really going to up the Yuval Noah Harari count for this for this show. It's going to be like off the <laughs> charts after this episode. For sure. We got to, we got to put together one of those word infographics, a word cloud. It's just going to be Yuval Noah Harari with a bunch of other little words around it. All like looping back onto his own name. So um, I, I believe if Jay-Z was out of the picture and Yuval was not a happily married homosexual homo sapien, I think Yuval and Beyonce would join forces as Beyuval the Great and Powerful and give birth to, wait for it, the Child of Destiny. Ooh. Sounds very mystical. Yeah. So, yes, yeah. I, I imagine this Child of Destiny to be a glowing ball of sentient light with incredible hair that is never this never before seen combination of pop stardom and intelligence this child of destiny would have such a mastery of both singing and human language that we'd inevitably elect the child of destiny to be our global leader and they would bring musical harmony and life harmony to all sentient beings that's a that's a destiny's child reference oh i got you i was gonna say that's a bold statement Am I showing my age here? You're much younger than I am, and I didn't get that reference, so maybe you That's are. That's all right. I, I'm not even sure if that joke was funny, but uh, <laughs> I put it out there. So since we live in the real world and not some weird fan fiction internet forum, let's get to some real facts here. Yuval Noah Harari is a professor in the Department of History at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. Uh, he's from Israel. He's 44 years old. And he is considered an Israeli public intellectual, scholar, and historian. But on his website, which I'm going to link to in the show notes, he calls himself a philosopher, which from the way that he shifted my perspective, I, I agree with this self-assessment. I would argue that philosopher is definitely his most accurate label. Now, a philosopher with a PhD in history from Oxford, in my opinion, that is someone to listen to. It's potent The combo. book Sapiens, for sure. I mean, this book is extremely popular. It's been called one of the best brainy books of the decade. It's been translated Damn. into 45 languages. Uh, it was first published in Hebrew in 2011. The English version hit the shelves in 2014. It, of course, has appeared on the New York Times bestseller list. It won the National Library of China's Wenjin Book Award. Who knows what that is? Uh, it is a book list, best book of the year, and one of Atlantic's best books we've read. The Royal Society of Biologists in the UK shortlisted the book in its uh, 2015 book awards, and author and journalist Alex Preston called it a publishing phenomenon with wild success, symptomatic of a broader trend toward intelligent, challenging nonfiction, and it has been highly recommended by several notable people. Any guesses on those? Uh, I'm not sure on the people, but could you hear my eyebrows raising at all that those accolades? 
<laughs> no, you're going to have to turn your gain up on your mic a little bit. <laughs> it's going to have to be really high to pick up the hair on my face moving. Well, um, among the fans of this book, Facebook founder and robot lizard Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> um, also sapiens is ranked among the 10 favorite books of super rich baller slash nerd slash philanthropist slash that dude that made those computer things that are not as good as the apple computer things bill motherfudgeon gates the guy that's trying to poison the world with vaccines (laughs) Uh, that's what some people say i'm i'm not here to confirm nor deny those youtube conspiracy theories but Possibly the most prestigious praise about Sapiens is uh, is going to happen right here on our show. I, Brett Chisholm, professional contentologist, do endorse this book as the all-time greatest chunk of content that has ever been created, consumed, and cleared out of my brain. And if you want to know one of the secrets of Yuval's success, I think it's mindfulness meditation. So one of my favorite things about this author, I didn't even find out about until after I had read both Sapiens and the sequel, Homo Deus. I was listening to an episode of a personal podcast favorite of mine, Armchair Expert with Dax Shepard. I know I've talked about his podcast before. It is, for sure. It's really good. In his most recent interview, I think it was with Yuval, I found out he is a serious mindfulness meditator. And when I say serious... I mean serious. So as you probably remember, Josh, I started an MBSR course uh, in early 2020, kind of before things went to shit. What is MBSR? uh, It was... So MBSR is short for Mindfulness-Based Stress Mm. Reduction. And I'm actually going to link my MBSR teacher's website in the show notes, Julie Mouse. Uh, She is fantastic. I know this sort of applies to local listeners, uh, but, you know, almost 50 of our 127 U.S. listeners are from Colorado. I just looked this up on our podcast. (laughs) Let's get those numbers up, people. That's right. And um, share with your friends. That's right. And check out Julie. I mean, I cannot imagine a better meditation teacher. And although she she teaches right now, I think, in Evergreen and in Steamboat, due to COVID, uh, I think she stopped teaching in-person classes and she's developing a program that's all online. So I'm going to link to that in the notes, uh, her website. But while I'm on the topic, real quick, of listener locations... I'm going to do a shout out to our five listeners in Canada, our one listener in <laughs> Ireland, our one listener in Australia. I'm guessing that's Coral Reef Ray. I'll have to send her a message on Instagram. And also we have four listeners in the Czech Republic. Hey, I'm man, guessing we're huge over there. <laughs> I guess so. I, I think it might be uh, Dan and Marlene. They're Mally Mish, this full-time traveling family of badasses. But they're a family of five, and we got four listeners over there. So, so I'm guessing one of one, them is not listening. Luca, I'm looking at you. <laughs> <laughs> Don't He's make like us come over to the Czech Republic and put headphones in your ears. Anyway, so MBSR, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, is basically a boot camp on mindfulness meditation that is completely secular and backed by thousands of scientific studies. 
it's a fantastic and in-depth starting point with various techniques and all the benefits of meditation. And it's specifically mindfulness. Um, but it has it has all of the Eastern religious elements which birthed this meditation practice essentially removed. So I, in my opinion, I think it makes it a little bit uh, more available and palatable to our Western minds. Definitely. But the... For sure, for sure. There's no, you know, beads, chants, namaste. Not not that there's anything wrong with that. We are not maligning our California listeners. Um, but the book Sapiens actually goes into mindfulness meditation quite in depth, which still did not tip me off to Yuval's status as a serious meditator because the book goes in depth into all sorts of ideas, religions, practices, and, of course, lots of the most up-to-date science and... Uh, hypotheses. But the section on mindfulness meditation was intriguing, however, because it introduced what I later confirmed in MBSR and has been further verified to me through several other sources of information and books, which can all basically be summed up as Buddha was right. It turns out Buddhism has a special place among the most cutting-edge scientific research, contemplative traditions have been investigating the mind for thousands of years, and although contemplative traditions can be associated with any major religion, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, so forth, science has engaged Buddhism the most because, like science, Buddhism encourages people to take nothing on faith, and it does not require a belief in God. And also... Buddhism has a detailed model of the mind that translates well to psychology and neurology. Now, I'll be honest about my uh, Western-ness. It is definitely the scientific research and the neuroscience in particular that has been bringing this confirmation of the effectiveness of these ancient teachings. That That's what got me practicing meditation. So I'm going to get... I'm going to get real with you for a second, dude, and with the listeners. So buckle up. We're getting personal here. Realer than those listener numbers that we revealed earlier? 127. <laughs> it's not bad. You got to start it's somewhere. It's not bad. So it was 11 years ago uh, or thereabouts when my interest in Eastern philosophy and kind of their views on non-duality was first sparked. After a consciousness-expanding experience with portobello pizza toppings, which completely shifted my reality and opened up the window of my awareness, I then read the book Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance to help me make sense of things. I was extremely curious. After all, I experienced an ego death, and after a very tumultuous inner journey, I reached this moment of unexplainable peace and tranquility where I was filled with gratitude. Uh, it's, it's hard to explain, but somehow I experienced firsthand the interconnectedness of all things, and for lack of a better term, an appreciation and connection to God that transcended any book, church, or religion. I mean, it influenced my taste in music, art, my love and appreciation for nature, and I'm talking... I'm talking permanent changes, and I am not alone in this. I mean, there has been a lot in science recently 
discussing the nature of these spiritual experiences. But even then, this curiosity didn't lead to meditation just like it didn't lead me going to church because there was no real guidance from our society yet to understand and process an experience like that. I mean, social stigma, useless things like the war on drugs. I mean, you name it. You know, this is a kind of a difficult thing to understand if you get the opportunity to experience it. So meditation or exploring this possibility of other states of consciousness still never made the jump for me into the world of practicality. And like most spiritual experiences, it's it's still at odds or at least difficult to explain with the tools of science that I hold in very high esteem. And getting to the point where you are filled with gratitude and mindfulness and connected with this higher power, this higher consciousness, whatever you want to call it, by just sitting and breathing, I mean, you have to apply some serious dedication. You have to let go of Western goal-oriented thinking. You have to be consistent and you have to be patient. There's definitely no instant gratification. There's no easy dopamine hits. Like if you were to just play some video games, maybe open up your social media. Uh, So for me, it took the world of science to catch up and catch on. And people like Sam Harris and Dr. Lori Santos, Dan Harris, the news anchor, uh, with he he has a very famous app, 10% Happier, uh, also the name of his book. It took people like that to take this wisdom from the East package it in a way that is appealing to me and then support it with 10,000 scientific studies because that's me and that's who I am and that's what I needed. And now I am slowly turning this practice into a functional daily habit, just like diet and exercise. And TDCS. Now, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if it was the same thing for you all. Um, Sam Harris mentioned in a recent conversation with Jonathan Haidt on his podcast, Making Sense, that he believes a lot of Westerners who eventually pursue a meditation practice seriously were introduced usually um, to another way of experiencing reality through psychedelics, at least initially. Do you feel like these these portobello pizza toppings, as you say, I mean, do you feel like that is maybe like a shortcut or a workaround to get a similar effect that you would get through mindfulness meditation? I absolutely do. And, um, I mean, that's not my thinking on it. If you, uh, we've referenced this book in an early episode and now, because I, I know I'm going to get the name wrong because I got it wrong the first time, but it's Michael Pullum's book, uh, the plant guy, right? Uh, the food guy, um, change your mind or how to change your mind that he talks about the latest scientific research done with fMRI scanners, and they have scanned the brains of experienced meditators and people that are on psychedelics. And they seem to do the same thing, which is shutting down the default mode network, the seat of the ego, if you will, the the air traffic controller of all the communications and all the connections in your brain. And, and so that's why I'm very encouraged that you don't need to use chemical substances to achieve these states of gratitude and connectedness. I mean, I believe meditation is the path for it, but for people having difficulty 
understanding what it is to be in a different state of mind or what it is to be not an I and a you to eliminate that duality. Um, I think, you know, there are possibilities out there like taking something from the ground and jump starting that relationship with your awareness. You know, I uh, had similar experience as well. And um, I would say that, you know, psychedelic experiences when I was younger definitely shaped the way I view the world now. And I, th- I think there's a reason why a lot of the people that like the great thinkers that I respect most are touting their use. It's because it, it really does. It gives you like a, a new way, like a, a way fil- filled with gratitude to view the world. And I know that it's just opened up so many avenues of thought for me. So when I hear you talk about meditation like this, it really, you know, it, this is the kind of thing about meditation that piques my interest. And, you know, I'm sorry to say that I haven't really had any experience with it. But I do like what you're talking about with the, uh, you know, the secular approach to meditation that takes a lot of like the, like the hoo-ha out of it and just makes it more of like, you know, a science-based approach to attaining those states because there's a reason why it's been happening for thousands and thousands of years. It's, you know, humans are very good at figuring things out and this is just, it seems like it's something that without science, humans figured out and then science kind of caught up to it later in life and is now starting to explain why those practices work. Exactly. And, uh, you know, and, and John Kabat-Zinn is really the one um, who kick-started MBSR. He wrote the book Full Catastrophe Living. He's this very well-known psychologist. And he had the realization actually on a silent meditation retreat that this was a tool, basically. I mean, honing in your awareness and honing in uh, your your mindfulness and and having these profound insights about the nature of your mind such as i am not my thoughts right my my thoughts appear that just appear in consciousness that are not me so so having having these firsthand experiences can really change uh your perspective but john Kabat-Zinn first brought this program to people in hospitals that either uh, drugs were not effective or they couldn't take drugs or they didn't want drugs. They were using mindfulness techniques to reduce their pain. I mean, these are very, very powerful practices. And the great news is, is if you don't like uh, portobello toppings on your pizza, I mean, there is a sober avenue for exploring these states. You, You just have to be a little more patient and and I don't want to say try a little harder because that would be striving and an attitude and meditation or mindfulness is non-striving but you know you you get the idea I mean it you have to practice it's you just are like the placebo. Uh, yeah I mean uh, essentially uh, as as far as I understand it I I'm still a beginner in this but you know the placebo effect is a power of the mind right and the mind is all we have so why not use it and practice with it? So um, let's take a quick uh, pause before we go to break. 
Josh, I want you to notice your breath. Okay, just just go ahead and take a breath in and follow that breath wherever you notice it the most, all the way from the moment that breath comes in until the moment you let that same breath go. What do you notice? Whatever arises, if you watch it for long enough, notice that it disappears in the same way that it just appeared in consciousness, even if you do nothing at all. Now, for our listeners, don't stop breathing and definitely stay tuned because when we come back, it is time to get into the content. content? The Content Clearinghouse is brought to you by Best Maps Ever. They make checklist posters for outdoor adventurers who want to see it all. If you want to visit every national park in the United States, climb every 14er in Colorado, or ski every slope in New England, Best Maps Ever posters are the perfect way to track and inspire your quest. Every map is lovingly designed with icons marking each location so you can stick a pin in the icon or color it in with a marker as you check off the areas you've been to. They offer mounting and framing services for maps that are ready for pinning right out of the box, or if you prefer to mount the map yourself, there are tips on the website to help you with that. They have a slew of maps relating to protected areas and public lands like state parks, national forests, and even more obscure maps like the National Wild and Scenic Rivers system. So Josh, one of the maps my wife and I have mounted in our camper is the National Parks map. Now, it's covered in pins because, well, you know, Bree and I get around. And Best Maps Ever makes our gallivanting around the country even more fun because we can put a pin in the map to prove that we've been there and done that. No one could ever cheat that system, Brett. Well, it is on the honor system. Best Maps Ever does not employ any sort of pin-related security system that will come to your house and check and see if you've actually visited the places you've pinned. (gasps) Since you brought it up, I have uh, the skydiving drop zone map hanging up in my office. It's one of the few decorations I have that's not celebrating one of my many athletic achievements. In fact, it's hanging up on the wall right next to my world's most humble man trophy. For all your cartographic needs, visit bestmapsever.com. They've got the best maps ever. Welcome back to the Content Clearinghouse. Brett, let's just keep it going, man. This is some intense stuff. All right. Well, um, I say enough about Yuvalid meditation. Let's just get into sapiens. So my second part of this content piece is part two, the unification of information. So sapiens is broken down into four distinct sections. Part one is the cognitive revolution. Part two is the agricultural revolution. Part three, the unification of humankind. And finally, part four, the scientific revolution. Now, obviously, this book covers a lot, like literally the entire history of everything with the obvious focus on the human species. So what I'm going to try to do on this episode is I'm going to try to hook you by talking about the first few pages in depth and uh, basically just reading some sections straight from Sapiens. And then I want to hit a few highlights that were super impactful to me because this book literally changed the way that I see the world in a very similar way to those pizza toppings. And on this episode, (laughs) I'm just going to hit a tiny fraction of the things that totally blew my mind. 
So if I haven't made it clear yet, I really encourage you to read this book. Um, there's a lot of mind blowing to go around and who knows what, you know, what other people might get out of it. You might get something else out of it than me, but from top of page one, Yuval starts out about 13.5 billion years ago when uh, matter, energy, time, and space came into being. He summarizes chemistry, biology, and history by the time you reach the halfway point of the first page. Josh, I know you love economy of words. and (laughs) I was going to bring that up. This sounds like the most economical use of words I've ever heard of. I mean, he does not fuck around. He gets right into outlining the major turning points of our species in the very first section, which he called an animal of no significance. Can you guess who that is? That would be us. I thought you were going to say pugs. (laughs) Oh, yeah. They didn't even make the book. They're so insignificant. Come on, guy. (laughs) They're the best. I love pugs. Pugs, not drugs, everybody. Okay. uh, According to Sapiens. Pugs, not pizza toppings. According to Sapiens, there are three important revolutions which have shaped the course of history. We have the cognitive revolution, which kicked off history about 70,000 years ago. That's when Homo sapiens evolved language and imagination. The agricultural revolution sped things up about 12,000 years ago when we ditched our nomadic hunter-gatherer roots. And then the scientific revolution, which got underway only 500 years ago, which may well end history and start something completely different. Um, Which is interesting because I've heard that um, the agricultural revolution was one of the worst things that ever happened to the planet. But yeah, there's uh, there are definitely some drawbacks to really, it seems like to all of these revolutions, they're in some ways the best thing that have ever happened, but they also all come with their ramifications. Very uh, interesting that you bring up that point because in Sapiens, he talks about these tight-knit groups of humans having uh, very fulfilling lives as hunter-gatherers because we thrive so much through social interaction. And it's because of the agricultural revolution and the industrial revolution and so forth where we've become more and more isolated and we no longer have these these tight-knit groups. So... Uh, Your body wants to get out and run and chase down a water buffalo every once in a while. I mean, exactly. And I mean, if you've already... It's why we pursue action sports. It's like, it's that innate drive within our soul from our evolution that like drives us to want to go out and do these crazy things that push our bodies and our minds to the limit. Dude, he makes the argument in this book that you actually work less as a hunter-gatherer than you do working a 40-hour work week. Yeah, hunter-gatherers aren't <laughs> vacuuming the, the living room and doing the dishes. Yeah, you know, I mean, just he, he talks about all of that. He's, he's like, yeah, you know, they probably, the, the best anthropologists' uh, theories were that year just kind of chilling at 3 p.m., you know, you did your thing, you walked around, you got some berries, you're good to go. I mean, of course, there were these, like, moments of terror uh, but they were few and far between. Well, I wonder what kind of content they get to watch. <laughs> the sunrise and the sunset every day. Um, they show on Earth. So, if although if the yeah. writing is a little weak, well, that's that's later. That's when the Sum- the Sumerians and everything. That's totally a later chapter. But if you're like me, 
uh, you probably didn't find all this history stuff super interesting in your formative years. I was more interested in pretending to be Indiana Jones or playing GoldenEye 007 on N64, of course. Classic. But it's a good one. But the older I've gotten, the more interested I'm becoming uh, in, you know, where did we come from? What is going on? Uh, where are we going? And as far as where we came from, Yuval delivers the goods like four pages in. He explains simply that long before we had words like chemistry, biology, and history, there were humans that were not really distinct from any other animal roaming around. In fact, animals much like modern humans first appeared 2.5 million years ago. And if you were hiking around in East Africa about 2 million years ago, you might have encountered some pretty familiar characters. You got anxious mothers holding their babies, carefree kids running around, macho tough guys trying to impress the hottie, and some some weary elders that just want to be left alone. Get off Mr. my Red lawn! <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Throwback to Starship Troopers. Uh, so Yuval writes that these archaic humans loved, played, formed close friendships, and competed for status and power. So we're pretty special, right? Not really. We're the so best. did the oh. <laughs> so did we're the not, chimpanzees. We're not the best. The the baboons did the same thing. The elephants. So nobody really expected, uh, especially humans, that the descendants of these creatures would one day walk on the moon, split the atom, fathom the genetic code, and God, literally write human history. I mean, we were just totally insignificant at this point. How does that make you feel, Josh? Oh, it makes me feel, I mean, this is the way I always feel, very <laughs> glad and at the same time tortured to have been born a human. Yeah, I. it is confusing, isn't it? Just so, the uh, just the ability to contemplate our own nature and our own mortality. It's like it's such a curse, but it's also like where all of this expansive growth, technology, and agriculture—it all comes from. You know, just for sure. Th thinking about what we are, where we come from, and where we're going, and how to either offset some of those effects or to lengthen the timeline or just to make it slightly less boring than just sitting around and, you know, thinking about the fact that you're conscious all the time. Right. Well, wait till you start mindfulness meditation. And instead of thinking, you, gotta teach me. <laughs> you start looking at your thoughts, you start trying to develop this metacognition so you're not lost in your thoughts. You're you're looking, you're like, oh, that's a thought. Oh, oh, now that's an emotion bubbling up, right? And you're watching it arise. You're watching it pass. Um, it, it's basically not thinking about thinking. It's, it's wonderful. So <laughs> after a short explanation uh, in Sapiens of how biologists classify organisms into species and how we differentiate separate evolutionary paths like lions, tigers, leopards, jaguars. They, these are different species within the genus Panthera. We too are part of a family. We are in the genus Homo, which means man. So lions, for example, they're called Panthera Leo, the species Leo of the genus Panthera. You and I 
and presumably everybody on the planet except for electronic lizard Mark Zuckerberg uh, is a homo <laughs> sapien. So sapiens is the species, and it turns out sapiens, I did not know this, it means wise. So as homo sapiens, we've so modestly named ourselves wise man. That does sound like something we would do. We got to go ahead and give ourselves the uh, most uh, modest homo sapien wise man trophy or whatever. The good thing is that uh, with our opposable thumbs and our big brains, we are able to develop and create some very effective back padding machines. <laughs> this is true. So the fact that we too belong to a family it turns out, is one of history's most closely guarded secrets. We long preferred to view ourselves as separate from animals, basically an orphan with no family, no siblings, no cousins, and most importantly, no parents. But that is not the case, unfortunately. We are actually members of a large and noisy family called the Great Apes. And our closest living relatives are chimpanzees, gorillas, and orangutans. It turns out, the chimpanzees are the closest relative. Six million years ago, a single female ape had two daughters. One became the ancestor of all chimpanzees, and the other is our own grandmother. Now, if you don't go to school in a very conservative state in the South, this is probably not a surprise <laughs> to you. I mean, um, maybe we don't think about the fact that we are descendants of apes all the time unless... I don't know, you're a biologist, you're an anthropologist or something, but if you're if you're like me and you've ever found yourself in the middle of an enthusiastic poop fight with your friends, you might think to yourself, Every oh, day. this makes sense, yeah. I, I mean, now, I remember like as a as a child, I don't know, I was probably like 13, something like that, when I learned... I, I guess I knew this in the back of my head, but when it was like really spelled out for me, like you are an animal. And like when that thought really sunk into my mind and I was able to accept that, like I remember it was like kind of like a great awakening in my brain of just seeing the world in another way and understanding like the, where we fit in with the ecosystem and you know, like more of where we came from. And that, that was that was like a real turning point in my mental development, learning and accepting that. Now, didn't you go to school in Texas? So are you, are you sure that you weren't just being called a, a name on the, on the schoolyard? Yeah, you wouldn't think that they would teach uh, evolution down there, but I did learn <laughs> it down there. Wow. All right, Texas. 10 points for, uh, for <laughs> Texas land there. So, I, I kid. I love Texas. So I the balls in uh, your court, Texas. Prove us wrong that you teach <laughs> evolution. That's right. Now, you know that stuff. I feel like most people are pretty familiar with what. What I had no idea about uh, with much of our early history is what Yuval Noah Harari calls skeletons in the closet. It turns out Homo sapiens have uh, kept hidden an even more disturbing secret. Not only do we possess an abundance of uncivilized cousins, but once upon a time, we had quite a few brothers and sisters as well. So we are used to thinking about ourselves as the only humans because well, that's how it's been for the last 10,000 years. I mean, we are the only human species around. But remember, the meaning of the word human is an animal belonging to the genus Homo, 
and there used to be many other species of this genus besides Homo sapiens. And furthermore, he foreshadows the last chapter of the book where he lays out his prediction for the non-sapiens humans of the not-so-distant future. Spoiler alert, it'll just be a giant army of Zuckerberg bots. <laughs> I'm assuming I'm that uh, the next evolution is going to be something with technology grafting technology into our body or m- merging oh, our mind with the, the hive mind in the cloud for sure for sure and I, i'm not going to talk about homo deus his uh sequel but you know that if 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 sapiens is is our past homo deus is his prediction for our future i'm sure i'll cover it sometime maybe not as as in depth as this, but I was going to say, a great read. Set aside a two part episode for it, <laughs> right? Exactly. Or just wait twenty five years and and see if it all comes true. Just look out the and front then you door. Just download it into your brain. <laughs> so, um, on to the subject of other Homo species. You've probably heard of Neanderthals, right? Yep. Word up. So. Word up. Where, where are my Neanderthals at? So you might even know that there were, there were two different theories about the eventual ex- extinction of Neanderthals. There was the interbreeding theory, this theory that when sapiens spread into the Neanderthal lands, sapiens bred with the Neanderthals until the two populations merged. And then there's this opposing view called the replacement theory, which tells this very different story. I mean, we're talking incompatibility, revulsion, perhaps genocide. Now, in the replacement theory, the two populations remained completely distinct. And when the Neanderthals died out or were killed off, their genes died with them. Now, if that's the case, sapiens replaced all the previous human populations without merging with them. And the lineages of all contemporary humans can be traced back exclusively to East Africa 70,000 years ago. Now, this has been a serious debate in science. You want to talk about a bad time to bring up genetic differences between Africans, Europeans, and Asians that goes back hundreds of thousands of years. Now is not a good time for some political dynamite, which could be weaponized for explosive racial theories. But, you know, let's do it. Any guesses as to which is the accurate theory interbreeding or replacement? Uh, Replacement. Interesting. Well, that has definitely been the common wisdom in the field. Uh, it had archaeological backing. And Yuval points out that it was more politically correct because scientists did not want to open up that Pandora's box of you know, significant genetic diversity among human populations. But in 2010, the debate was ended when the results of a four-year effort to map the Neanderthal genome were published geneticists were able to collect enough intact Neanderthal DNA from fossils to make a broad comparison between it and the DNA of contemporary humans. And it turns out that one to 4% of the unique human DNA of modern populations in the Middle East and Europe is Neanderthal DNA. Wow. So yeah, it may not sound like much, but it's significant and it shocked scientists. And it also shocked me because Guess who has some of that Neanderthal DNA? Me, bro. I got I got 2%. Actually, it's less than 2%. And 
It's 100% awesome, but my 23andMe <laughs> says I have more Neanderthal DNA than 80, 88% of its other customers. Yeah. Take that, everyone else that's used 23andMe. You know, it, it's really... So, uh, the political correctness movement. I know. I know. I know what you're going to say. It's very unfortunate that it's that that scientists are afraid to talk about data because it might be used uh, as a political weapon. I know it's terrible. And Sam Harris actually has a very prescient tweet about this very thing that said, you know, what if we found out that Neanderthal DNA was in, you know, only um, people from Ghana, right? I mean, it it would be explosive. And I, I think that it's, that it's interesting that it's not explosive because you know it's white it's white people and brown people that are uh you know have Neanderthal DNA in them. Well, I was gonna say that I love political correctness. No, <laughs> oh, uh, okay. <laughs> so, a second shockwave uh, in the scientific community. It came months later after this discovery when DNA was extracted from the fossilized finger from a Denisova. Uh, they mapped that DNA, and this result uh, proved that up to 6% of the unique human DNA of all modern Melanesians and Aboriginal Australians is Denisovan. Now, he does add this qualifier that further research is underway before these results are really considered valid. But I think that this is a good time to bring up another great point about Yuval Noah Harari. This information in this book, is it's not presented as the that's it. End of conversation. That's a fact. Because science is not an exact science. I mean, it's constantly growing. It's changing. It's evolving. It's rewriting itself. There's more observations that are made, and there's better data that's collected. And this book does a great job presenting you with the leading theories on a particular subject. So, you know, there's explaining these theories, talking about what evidence supports one side and what evidence supports the other and probably how both sides are right until we figure out this other missing detail and then it's proven that neither are correct. So, I mean, he's telling the story of humanity, but it's it's not fiction. I mean, Yuval is presenting the best understanding that we have based on the latest science But instead of all this information being boring and tedious, I mean, he expertly paints this this picture. He tells a story for the reader. And of course, utilizing that economy of words you're so fond of uh, is frankly super, it's super important in a book like this. I mean, he, he takes his mastery of the subject matter and like a brilliant philosopher, he weaves, he blends this information with these concepts, these graphs, maps, pictures, and he gives you this opportunity to really understand clearly in your mind with this zoomed out perspective on the timeline of us, how, how we've grown and changed and evolved and rewritten ourselves. Uh, so speaking of us, homo sapiens, I've mentioned um, our not often discussed siblings, homo neanderthalensis or man from the Neander Valley. And Homo Denisova, or uh, I think that's short for fossilized finger bone of man excavated from Denisova Cave of Siberia. Does that sound right? <laughs> yeah, that does sound like what that means. Sure. So do you want to hear about a few of the other human species that have walked the earth? Yeah, lay it on me, buddy. All right. We got Homo erectus, the upright My favorite. man. 
he survived in Asia for close to 2 million years, making it the most durable human species ever. On the island of Java in Indonesia lived Homo solanensis, a man from the Solo Valley. And then on, the, uh, on another Indonesian island, a small island of Flores, humans underwent a process of dwarfing. So humans first reached Flores when the sea level was exceptionally low and the island was easily accessible from the mainland. When the seas rose again, some people were trapped on the island, which was poor in resources. Big people, who need a lot of food, died first, and smaller people survived much better. So over the generations, the people of Flores became dwarves. What an interesting this selection. Unique... Dude, it's, it's wild. So this unique species, known as Homo floresiensis reached a maximum height of 3.5 feet and weighed oh, no man. more than 55 pounds. They would fit in I mean, Isla's they, big wheel. <laughs> that is true. You know, now, when I hear like able, that, uh, like when uh, I hear that, that timeline of 2 million years for Homo erectus, you know, like it's such an unfathomable amount of time. And when I hear things like that, it, it just really puts into perspective. It's like a vantage point, a way to view the world. Like, how insignificant our little speck of time like that compared to the 500 years of the scientific revolution and everything that we feel like we've accomplished in that time it's just viewing things on that universal scale it makes all the like the day-to-day issues the things that i worry about you know like am i am i doing enough coaching at the wind tunnel and all these things that just like prey on my mind and just these self-imposed sadness triggers that are in my brain. It makes them just seem like it's just like the, I guess the most insignificant thing that's ever happened on the planet. Well, um, I do think the book ends on an optimistic, but sort of a giant question mark note. But I, I will say that, that seeing that large timeline might, bring some peace to you but i kind of like it when you re- i honestly when like you it. read the book i i mean i i definitely understand that perspective but when you read the book i think one of the important things that uh you've all really shows you by showing you this huge timeline and i think one of the points that he makes you intimately aware of the pace of progress is to just just really drive home the point that near near or the the longer that we go on the pace of progress is accelerating more and more rapidly and it's very very difficult to understand how quickly things are happening now as opposed to uh 100 years ago or 500 years oh, ago definitely. or 1000 years ago i mean we we've talked about this exponential growth before on the podcast but i mean he has this great point i i can't well, remember the years he, but he talks before you about, go on says, though, uh-huh. before you go on I, I do want to say that like the the insignificance that, that makes me feel like yeah it, insignificant has like you know a bad connotation to it and it seems like it's you know that's a negative but sometimes like that insignificance actually gives me some comfort and it really it puts into perspective about the things that I impose on my own mind that weigh down on me how you know on this universal time scale the where they really fall into you know in the, in the pantheon of human existence and it really gives me 
comfort and the ability to let some of those things go when you know you, you just imagine even my own timeline in a week the things that i'm just like so torn up about in my brain today will probably seem like they never even existed at all and so you know it's, ah, it's, that's it's just mindfulness a, buddy <laughs> yeah it's just another way you know like that that timeline just gives me another way to view that and another way to help give myself the perspective I need to, to deal with having a human brain sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I, that's definitely a good point, but it, I mean, I, I do, and this is totally unrelated to, you know, feeling like, okay, uh, with, with this larger perspective, everything, all my problems become small. That's awesome. But I also think what you'll find in this book is this sort of sense of impending like, okay, we are accelerating. We're going faster. We're going faster, faster, faster. What? Where are we headed? Because because it's the train is moving. There's a robot buddy, army. It's, oh, yeah. So um, back to this Homo floresiensis. These... These uh, species, they were they were actually able to produce stone tools, not big wheels, unfortunately. <laughs> but they they did manage to occasionally hunt down some of the island's elephants. But before you get too impressed, the elephants were also a dwarf species. Classic. So I'm gonna link us right. I'm gonna Classic link a everything video on this island <laughs> for sure. It's just tiny, tiny land. Uh, I'm going to link a video about Homo floresiensis that talks about the discovery of the fossils. It's really fun because they call uh, they call them hobbits. Hmm. hmm. Interesting. So, yeah. So we can't forget about Homo rudolfensis, Homo ergaster, which means working man. And then eventually we get back to us. That working man. I bet he got all the ladies. <laughs> That's right. Ladies love a so, guy with a job. <laughs> well, did they like the working man or the wise man? Or the uh, you mean the nerd? <laughs> the nerd, the nerd boy. You know, the wise man wouldn't get laid. <laughs> so if we, uh, well, Homo sapiens were getting laid. That's how we ended up here. Yuval Noah Harari believes we have conquered the world because of language. So we are able to communicate at a level never seen before. And as far as we know, only Homo sapiens can talk about things that we have never seen, touched, or smelled. Religions, myths, legends, fantasies. We have created the world that we see today through mass cooperation with the use of stories. The power of imagination. So what really... The ability to theorize. Exactly. Exactly. So even though he does talk about that brain to body ratio, what really sets us apart, it's not the size of our brain. It's not our cognitive abilities. It's not opposable thumbs. It's not our affinity for poop fights. Uh, it's the fact that we can collaborate in these large numbers in extremely flexible ways. Now, if you're religious, you definitely might be a little triggered by this book because spoiler alert, religions are myths. They are stories. <laughs> Spoiler alert. But if, if you are a non-religious person like me, you will actually find yourself admiring and respecting 
the myth and the stories of religion more because of sapiens. I mean, my preconceived beliefs about the downsides uh, or the downsides of religion that I had before jumping into the book were actually somewhat dissolved by Yuval Noah Harari's deconstruction. And I was left with more respect and more wonder because this book gave me this true appreciation for the positive power of religions by bringing people together and uniting them with common values and a unified direction. Well, I feel like with religion, you uh know, the, the, uh, I think like like most human invention that's not a nuclear weapon, you know, it, it started with the best intentions, you know, as a way to like yeah, like you're like you're saying, to build community and bring people together in a way to encourage moral behavior. But I think like over the years as the focus of religion has seemed to be more about like collating power and wealth and control the you know, the idea of like it being an eye opening and mind expanding experience has kind of been replaced with like more of like an ability or a desire to blind the people that follow it into believing like a, a very certain mythology and even if they're not being told directly that you know you shouldn't be researching these avenues a lot of the beliefs when you know it's so easy to just say like oh i just believe that God created the earth. Well, it's very easy to just shut out the entire study of the evolution of the planet because you already have an answer that, you know, it's, it's acting like a blinder in your mind. And I think that that's like, personally, I think that one of the, the real dangers of religion is the fact that it does just, it, it, it creates like its own little echo chamber. It closes you off from a lot of the rational thought. Yeah, I mean, I 100% agree with you. And, you know, that is why I felt like my preconceived beliefs were somewhat validated when I saw this deconstructed uh, view of religion that is very neutral. I mean, it's not like Yuval Noah Harari is preaching uh, atheism at all. Not that at all. I mean, he's just simply trying to, like, deconstruct everything about the the history of our species and all these, these stories that we have. And, uh, and I don't even think atheism is the, would be the, the most logical answer. Oh, I don't anyways, because I think like the idea of there being a creator is not outside of the realm of reality at all. I mean, like if you just look at what humans do, I mean, like take like a video game. It's essentially like a practice in world building, and as technology evolves, if you, you know, if, if there were a creator, you would have to assume that it's through some technological means that's, you know, eons beyond what we can even comprehend, and the idea that a universe experiment could be created is. I mean, I can fathom that idea right now, and I don't know shit about. Absolutely, shit. we talked about this. We talked about this in the Matrix episode, the simulation theory. I mean, we as conscious beings could very well be simulations inside of uh, some, you know, future uh, kind of technology that has the the capability of running uh, super advanced simulations. Yeah, and w- I think the one of one of the issues that I have with 
religious belief is the idea that the creator would be so self-centered as to require the apes on this planet to worship them. It's like that, that seems like such a, just like such a, a lowly pursuit of a being that could create an entire universe. And I feel like that would be the last thing on a creator's mind. You know, they, you got, you got the bureaucracy of running the earth simulator company. You know, you don't have time to worry about what the people on the little marble in your expansive universe, uh, your, the plot board of the universe are thinking about you. Like if they're going to church every Sunday. Right. I mean, you know, on, on that note though, the the deconstruction of this book if if you are feeling like validated by this for that moment like i did the deconstruction occurs for all of the beliefs that includes for the you know what you just mentioned that belief system and the for the non-religious folks and for the atheists i mean if you're thinking because of this podcast that you're not going to be targeted by Yuval's cutting an unbiased assessment of all the beliefs well you know you got to go into this and and get ready to have your shit deconstructed i mean uh christians hindus satanists uh um, like me i'm a mostly secular humanist i mean we all have a set of beliefs of values of principles right definitely what you might have a belief in a creator that has created this uh, very bizarre simulation or you might believe that uh, human individuality and rights should be paramount, right? Equality should be paramount. But I learned from Sapiens that that these are all myths. It, now, now I believe because of this book that every set of values, every set of beliefs that anyone has ever believed ever, it's just a story, and that this is not to dis- de- to detract from what we've created. I mean, I think it gives. I think it gives it power to see it for what it truly is. Corporations, they're a myth. Governments, a myth. Nations, a myth. It doesn't mean they aren't real. We make it real because we agree that it's real. We create what Yuval calls an intersubjective reality. We create this reality together. We draw a line around a piece of land, right? We sign a piece of paper. We raise up a symbolic flag. Yeah, exactly. That's a big one. I mean, if we all agree to believe the story, our myth becomes the reality. And like the the ancient Egyptians, the power of myths is what has compelled most Homo sapiens to dedicate their lives to building pyramids. It's it's just that the names, the shapes, the sizes of the pyramids change from one culture and from one era to another. Mm, that's now I'm not saying, yeah, for sure. I mean this this book a good is a doozy. I mean it will. It will blow your mind, and and not like, all. Like myths... you might say that the content clearinghouse is our pyramid. <laughs> yeah, that's. It's one of it's one of several, Josh. <laughs> it's one of many. Um, the the uh, these myths that I'm referring to, they're they're not all good when viewed through this lens of humanism that I particularly hold. Uh, he talks a lot about social hierarchies and inequality. I mean, these are also human inventions. Gender inequality and the idea of unnatural behaviors, this is a result of theology 
not biology. And so if you want a really good deep dive into inequality from a, once again, historian, meditator, philosopher, Sapiens offers a fascinating look at the differences between global cultures when it comes to inequalities of different kinds. And it pulls back the curtain as to how we ended up where we are today, but it's it's not politically loaded. It's It's not one-sided. I mean, it is a neutral and scientific look at the intricacies and the inconsistencies of human cultures. And I mean, it's, it's, this is one of the reasons it's the greatest thing I've ever read. And, and pulling back the curtain is really the only way to uncover the truth. <sighs> so if you're looking to expand <laughs> your horizon, shift your perspective, and maybe even glimpse behind the curtain of the confusing chaos of humanity, read Sapiens If you are feeling like the world is growing more separated and isolated between the imaginary lines that we draw to differentiate nations, you might be surprised to hear that history, according to Yuval Noah Harari, is moving relentlessly towards unity. Yuval argues that the whole planet is moving toward one world culture, in large part due to the creation of money, a concept that exists only in our minds, another Mm. myth. So with the three unifiers of humankind, three unifiers, religion, money, and empires, we are becoming a global species. We already are the dominant species. And in the final part of Yuval's book, The Scientific Revolution, Yuval ponders where we might go. He introduces the most recent tool in our arsenal, one which may soon propel us into either a utopian future where we are able to harness godlike control over ourselves and the environment, or we may usher in a catastrophic end to our species. This tool of science, it was not a tool of accumulated knowledge. It's actually the discovery of ignorance. You see, it isn't what we know that has brought us to this point of unprecedented power as a species. It is the admission that we don't know that kickstarted the scientific revolution. It's the curiosity to find out things and knowledge. And that brings me to the third and final part of this episode of the Content Clearinghouse, which I would like to call the Content Revolution. <laughs> so, <laughs> curiosity. Started making movies. <laughs> That's right. Curiosity is what brought me here with you, Josh. First, wanting to jump out of airplanes to see the view, feel the sensation. I mean, that is what eventually led our paths to cross. We taught people how to fly their bodies in the wind tunnel because they were curious too. And there are few greater pleasures in the history of my life than hanging out with an evolved ape like yourself, going hiking, talking about ideas, shredding some mountain slopes, jumping out of hot air balloons together, and of course, playing video games like the advanced ape species world builders that we are. Adjusting system preferences. One of my personal favorites. Now I, now I have the privilege of utilizing our agreed-upon set of sounds we make with our mouths to exchange information about the best content we have consumed. And I was thinking about it. Content is like the ultimate myth. I mean, content is just stories from authors, directors, artists, actors, podcasters, Instagrammers, contentologists. And Josh, we love content so much. Yuval might just classify our species as Homo 
Contentiensis. <laughs> and as a member of Homo Contentiensis, if <laughs> I had one. to choose, it's a, it's hard to pronounce. These scientists from the Valley of Content. <laughs> That's right. If and if I had to choose one piece of content to recommend to my fellow ape brethren, it would be Sapiens: A Brief History of Humankind. Because if we know where we came from. We know what's going on, and we can guess where we are going. Maybe we can be just a little bit more mindful in our actions and our speech and make the story of the future a myth worth living. Wow. Do you think I convinced you how to read that book or what? Uh, Yeah, I'll read it. You just got to buy me a copy. All right, sounds no, good. No, uh, that sounds... Actually, you know, I was really... Um, I was really glad that I had not read the book already or researched it. it. You know, that I got to go into this blind as I assume like a lot of people that listen to this will because I mean, that was such a, an amazing breakdown of something that's like clearly so important to you. And it, I mean, it sounds like it's the kind of information that should be important to anyone with a human ape brain. So it's hard for me to even imagine the book being better than uh, your deep dive into it because it was just so eloquent and well put together. And I don't think that we've really ever had a, you know, a piece of content on the show before that's it's, it's spawned so much like f- philosophical discussion or you know, a sense of like own just like personal – Oh man, I guess just like it's it challenges. I mean, it challenged my beliefs, which is which is strange because I thought that I knew things, right? Like I thought that I was up to date on my belief systems and my personal values matched, uh, you know, the the most um, up to date scientific understanding of things, but he, I mean this literally deconstructed my own beliefs. Like I felt like I was uh, a Mormon leaving the church, you know, or leaving LDS. I mean, I, I felt like, okay, I need to look at myself and I need to look at my, my structures of preconceived notions to better understand other people, to better understand our economy, to better understand our nation. And somehow he does this in, in one book, he takes you from the beginning to now, and I think he gives you a really good idea of what's to come. But you know, don't skip to Homodeus. Don't start looking forward until you get a little bit better view looking back, because there was so much that I didn't know. So much about imperialism. So much about the written language and how important numbers have been, and so much about you know things we're just finding out these things about these societies that we used to imagine were just so primitive were actually basically just like us. I mean, they had language, they had culture. There was actually hunter gatherers. They just uncovered this, this, uh, this archeological, um, dig, dig site. I think it's called Gobekli Tep and it's Gobekli a Tepe. It, Gobekli Tepe. That's it. And it is, uh, they think it is the work 
of hunter gatherers of nomadic tribes coming together and working and cooperating in mass and it and isn't wasn't it dated that long like ago thousands and thousands really, of years yes. before the previously uh, believed inception of humans yeah i mean it's it literally well at least the at least ones that were living stationary and building these uh, cultures based around agriculture um, and you know building the first cities basically but i mean this thing was i mean it, it's caused uh, a, a totally different look and and this rewriting of history because it's because we're trying to improve our understanding yeah it pushes back like the timeline of when agrarian culture started which is like where exactly. the uh, it's where the uh, the controversy comes with go back definitely to Exactly. And, and sapiens, I mean, it's not going to be perfect because something new is going, we're going to learn new things about the past. It's going to update our understanding of not just the past, but of the present and of also where we go. But I, all, I, I just feel like Yuval Noah Harari is really the, the person that is mentioned the most together. on this show. Oh, <laughs> that's right. I mean, he's the one to tie it together and, and to deliver it in in such a perfect way it really should be required reading for everybody but i'm not you know we're not we, we don't require anything of our listeners other than to tell this show uh, tell your friends about this show check <laughs> us out on instagram at the content clearinghouse check us out at facebook you can go to our website cchpod.com uh please support the show but i i don't require you to read this i invite you i invite you to check out sapiens it's really interesting how all of this, you know, just this deep dive into the origins of humanity opened us up to like, you know, a certain level of vulnerability, which is, you know, it's hard to discuss some of that stuff on the show. So it's, uh, it I really, really is. Yeah. I really appreciate you bringing such thought provoking content every single week. And I appreciate everyone that listens as, as well. Just like Brett said, share, follow promote us so hard just get out there <laughs> get a billboard for us just keep <laughs> listening to the content clearinghouse we love you everyone join us next week <laughs>